we do want you as much as possible to be comfortable. And so if your little one needs quieting, please uh, feel free to uh, get up and take them out. Our people do it almost every Sunday. And uh, with staying with it, and especially with having faithful daily family worship at home, they will learn to sit. They can do it. It's not impossible. <clears throat> but it's not likely that it's ever going to happen if you don't do those things. So <clears throat> we can't wait till they're 18 for them to stop screaming. All right. We're going to be in Hebrews again this morning. Going to be in Hebrews. Going to read verses 1 through 4. For those of you visiting, we've begun a series of messages on the letter to the Hebrews. We did several messages of introduction to uh, prepare our minds for some of the theological issues that are raised in this book and some of the primary themes that are here. And uh, we have begun um, in the first four verses by looking at simply one word. The first one of the first verse and it is the word God. <clears throat> Something and someone not generally understood by this nation. And I pray with all of my heart that you have been encouraged and by the Spirit of God pressed to think more about the one you call God. He's not just a three-letter word on a page. He is the Almighty. And uh, we want to know our God better. And it's, it's going to be difficult for me to get through this in one message, but I'm going to do everything I can as we go through the last part of this first uh, first uh, word series of sermons. Uh, if you'll stand with me one more time, we're going to give our attention to the Word of God, and we will do as we have the last few weeks. We're going to read this passage together. It's very important to me, uh, whether we continue this particular practice or no, uh, my, my concern in doing this to begin with is that I want you to read over the words of the object of your worship. And if you're not thinking, this is the object of my worship, I hope that the Lord will wonderfully calibrate you to this, that he will open your eyes and open your hearts and realize it's not just four verses that have some God talk in them. It is the living word of God from the living God about God so that we might know and worship and adore him. And I pray that the spirit of God will help us do that. All right. If you are ready, we will all read together. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past, under the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Amen. Let's remain standing for prayer. Father in heaven, we have come before thee. Thy people have come at the urging of thy word and of thy spirit. Thou hast gathered thy eternally loved, thy blood-bought people. Thou hast brought them together that we might with one heart and one voice magnify, praise, adore, worship our God. And we thank thee for this blessed time to do so. We thank thee for the Lord's day. We thank thee that we may set it aside from all the rest and that we might come and magnify the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank thee for thy people. What a blessing. Father, what a blessing they are. I thank thee for them, and I thank thee that thou hast so loved them, so chastened them, so sanctified them, and I pray thou wouldst continue to do that. Father, do it all as the great and good Father that thou art. Do all, do everything infinitely necessary to make us more like Christ. Oh, Father, to give us a greater love for thy Holy Son, that our hearts might rise up in genuine love and devotion unto our Christ. How glorious he is. Oh, Father, may this worship be like the broken alabaster box. May the fragrance fill this place. May the fragrance of Christ be the thing that fills our soul with joy and thanksgiving. Please, oh God, come by thy spirit. Come, shake up those that are asleep. Awaken them spiritually, oh God. If there are those who are sleepy in the flesh, energize them by the power of thy spirit that they might hear thy word. Oh, Father, if there's one nasty, ugly little grudge moving around in someone's soul, may they vomit it out in repentance this morning and love thy people. Father, I do pray that there would be nothing in us, that there would be nothing in us that would quench thy blessed spirit. He is the very heart and power of our worship, and we want to know that power today. Come, Holy Spirit, pour out Shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. Oh, how we love thee. Oh, may the sweetness of Christ be ours today. May we see, may we understand, may we get some sense of our great and triune God. Now, Lord, again, I plead for thy blessings. Our praises have gone up. I pray that thy blessings will come down. And we ask it all that Christ would be exalted in, O oh, Father, there may be those here this morning. In fact, there are those here this morning who do not know Thee, who are lost. They are in darkness. Some of them may even be in religious darkness, being inoculated with just enough, just enough religion to think they're on their way to hell when they are still slaves of Satan. 
Oh God, set them free. Set them free by the grace of the almighty Christ. And now, oh God, for, again for thy people, come with sanctifying joy. Come with sanctifying power. Convict us of our sins. Set our faith upon Christ and may we rejoice that his blood has cleansed us in the courts of heaven. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. In the authorized version, the first word of the first verse of the letter to the Hebrews is God. There is no greater being. There is no greater reality. There is no greater power. There is no greater knowledge. There is no greater presence. There is no greater thought. There is no greater word. And there is no greater pursuit for any human being than God. God. Do we know that God? This God, not the God we've made up, not the God that's kind of a, uh, a stuck-together mosaic in our minds, of maybe of a felt picture that we've seen of a Jesus with a big baby eye drop, dropping out of his eyes. All of that idolatry needs to be washed, flushed out of our systems. Santa Claus in the sky. No, there is a great and almighty God. Do we know him? All right. Do you know him? Do you walk with him? Do you pray? Do you pour out your heart to him? Do you meet with him in his word? He's speaking. He's not quiet. He's there every day. Every day. Do you believe that? Do you wake up in the morning? And if you're a morning person, I understand there are later in the day persons. Night persons, understand all that. In the time where you are your best, do you seek your God to know him so that as you walk through the day, your life speaks of him and brings glory to him? God, God, God. Moses and the children of Israel sang, Who is like unto thee, O Lord? That's a song I would like to have heard. What did, what did approximately one and a half to three million people singing this sound like? Who is like unto thee, O Lord? Among the gods, meaning all the gods and idols of this world, who's like our God? The answer is no one and nothing. No one. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, 
glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Do you know that, God? This is not a storybook. This isn't a felt story time, felt board story time. This is God. He's not a picture. He's not a statue. He's the living, the living, almighty, all-knowing, all-present God. The prophet Jeremiah said, For as much as there is none like unto thee, None like unto thee, O Lord. Thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Is that, do our hearts resound to that? Or does that sound like, oh, that's just old King James stuff? Do you know God? Jeremiah goes on and says, Among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. And when rebuking his people, God said, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. Here's your problem. You think God's like you. Mm, That's a twisted and distorted God that you have if, if that's the way it is. Where are you getting your ideas about God? Please don't tell me. Well, I feel. No, that doesn't, that's, that's no prophet. God, the living, almighty God, there's none like him. God, there's none holy as the Lord. God, none is great as he is. You put all the heroes of the world, stack them line from line, all the way through history. They don't even come close to God. They don't. They don't. Thou thoughtest I was altogether such a one as thyself. Mm, That's a big mistake. We are made in his image, but sin has distorted and deformed and in some destroyed the image. Mm. Be careful what you worship. Make sure it's the God of Scripture. And that is one of the things we'll be pointing out today. So this God, the one true living God, God, this most pure spirit, is the subject of this message. And I say now, after four weeks, I haven't had the power to make him, to speak in words that exalt him enough. I fail in that. I can't make God big. If you read this book, the only one you need is the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so you see that immensity, that incomprehensibility. He's God. There's no one like him. There are a lot of people that want to be gods today. 
those that want the great reset are promising us that we will be gods. Are you listening to these liars? I'm not making this up. That's what they're telling the whole world. We're going to be gods. No. They're going to die just like men. So we want to know God in a world that has men that are such great fools that they think they can become gods. We need to know who the real God is. They're going to try to sell you that you can be God. So, <clears throat> let me ask you a question now. Let me ask three. That's a good number. How do you answer these three questions? Who is God? That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Number two, what is God? And number three, what is that God like? What is God like? True enough, we can look at the extraordinary things that God has made. This universe, which he simply spoke into existence. I mean, I urge you to go home and spend the entire afternoon trying to conceive and think a one-celled life into existence. You're laughing. Why are you laughing? God's, hmm, you can't create anything, except perhaps mayhem. I'm pretty good at that, chaos. I should have a t-shirt. <laughs> Be careful, chaos walking. All right, now, who is this God? What is this God? What is God like? Could you go to this book if someone from another country who was brought up in another religion, never heard the name of Jesus Christ, came in and sat down with you, what would you tell them? How would you inform them? What would that teaching lesson be? If they looked at you and said, who? Okay, who is your God? In my country, we've got 88 million gods and goddesses. Who is your God? What would you say? These are important things. What's he like? What is he? In the nation I come from, we make statues and paint pictures of our gods. Where's your God? What's he like? Like I said, we can look at the world and we can, we can, and all of creation and we can get a good idea that there are things about him that like he's a genius. Look at the way your hands move and the way your, your eyes are virtually a miraculous thing. God made us fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you look at yourself and say, man, if somebody made me, they were working 
at a level past my understanding. Right? Brethren, many of us sit in buildings that are called churches, mistakenly. The church is not the building. It's the people. It is the people. The church of Jesus Christ is people. And he dwells within those people. That means there should be something about their lives that's constantly moving in the direction of him and what he says and what he calls us to be. But I'm afraid that in our day, many have really lost the entire notion, the glory of God, the holiness of God, the awe, just to stand in awe of God. So God is our subject of instruction, meditation, and worship today. All our knowledge of him, listen carefully. Don't just get a few notes and say, now I've got some God notes. If you're learning about him, you should learn to worship him more. Because you have a better idea of who you're worshiping. All of our knowledge, all our knowledge of him should lead us to worship, to bow down, acknowledge that he is great. The Bible does it all through. If you can hear of God and not in some way be moved about his immensity, his bigness, his goodness, his greatness, the mercy he showed you if he saved your soul. Is he just part of the furniture of your life? Is he kind of like the religious handbag in your life? Or do you know God? God. God. The title of the sermon is God, part four. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's my prayer for you. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. I want you to know that. I want to know it better. And what is the exceeding, listen, listen. The, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word that believe? How I many of us think in terms of God's almighty power to us? Might change the way you start your day if you did. May his spirit graciously work all this in our believing souls. May we truly believe that our hearts might be lifted up where real joy is. For years I thought about doing a free grace broadcaster on joy. It's still in the list. But I bought a book by a Puritan 
that was on the subject of joy because I, I wanted to see one of those thorough Puritan treatments of that subject. Almost the entire book was about Jesus. It wasn't, oh, let's make holiday memories. None of that. It was Jesus Christ and how glorious he was, how wonderful he was, how desirable he was, how altogether lovely he was and is. So may God make himself known to us more and more. I pray that for us all. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, it's clearly my prayer for you. Well, <clears throat> our first major heading, which we've been through, but in a sense of review, especially for our visitors, uh, we began our sermons on the letter to the Hebrews uh, giving attention to a very brief introduction to the doctrine of God. I mean, if you stop and think about it, four messages on the doctrine of God. In some people's book, they'd be like, oh, wow, how long is you going to go with that? But for others, and for anyone who has any real understanding of the immensity of our God, we could do months and months and months on the subject of God. <clears throat> In part one, we examine the first paragraph of our confession, which lists the attributes, that is the qualities, the characteristics of God. <clears throat> it said, the Lord our God. Those, those should be sweet words to you. Not just the Lord God, but the Lord our God. The Lord, our God, is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself infinite in being. Well, that drops right off of the, uh, the table of understanding, does it not? Does anybody here... I can't always ask a question and be sure of how everyone would answer. But let me just say, for all of you that are following along and thinking, <clears throat> who can understand an infinite being when you're finite to begin with? That should tell us something about our great, immense, all-powerful God infinite in being. I was looking through some things in our house recently. I came across some older pictures. And then I looked in the mirror and it was like, mm. <clears throat> he's dying. And so are you. Some of you are in the flower of your, your years, the flower of your age. You're lovely, you're beautiful, handsome, whatever. But it's all going to fade. Gravity's going to get a hold of you. And I don't care how much you paint that thing up, you're not going to look the way you look now in just a few years. It's not going to happen. God has cursed the earth. This infinite God 
has cursed we finite people because of sin. We need somebody to set us free from it because we don't want to die young or old without being forgiven, without Christ, without pardon. Well, infinite in being perfection whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. Again, understanding. I wonder Paul praise these kind of things for God's people. A most pure spirit. Everything we know in this world is touched by foul things. Invisible, without body parts or passions, who only hath immortality. And I could go on and read the rest of the paragraph. But just as a reminder, not one of us can lay hold of these words just this much and give a comprehensive definition and expression of God. We're on the track, we're on the right track because every single one of these things comes right out of scripture. And that's where we find out about God the most. We can look as I said at creation and say he's powerful. <clears throat> but it's only when we open up this book that we begin to see how glorious he is. <clears throat> I urge you regularly to read the confession in general, but I especially urge you regularly to read chapter 2 and chapter 8 of, the, of God and of Christ. They're the, some of the most beautiful statements I've ever read outside of Scripture, and it's because they're built on Scripture. Well, then in part 2, we began to consider that God had external relations <clears throat> That carried over into part three, where we now take up where we left off. We're now in part four. <clears throat> I just have a couple of things left to say about the one true God and his external relations. Paragraph one tells us about who God is. Because it tells us what he is like. Number two tells us more about what he is, but it's in relation to things like creation, to his people. <clears throat> and I've already spent two messages on that, so I don't need to uh, rehearse those right now. But I want to say two things still that are in that paragraph that I did not cover last week, and it's the God of the Bible alone. Uh, let, let me quote from the, the paragraph. He hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleaseth. A good sermon is a good sermon, not because it's clever, not because the pastor is simply a wordsmith. A good, ser a good sermon, God willing, before the... The Almighty God is one that sticks close to the Scriptures. I think all of us would agree with that. And that's exactly the way a good confession is. Sticks close to the Scriptures. And here it says, He has most sovereign dominion over everything. That's what the Scriptures teach. The God of the Bible alone is sovereign over every aspect of life. Angelic, human, 
or lower creatures. <clears throat> the four and twenty elders in Revelation 19 fall down and they worship God in his presence. Then a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God. Well, I don't know what it sounds like in heaven. It's probably ridiculous to even to attempt, but it's not a library, y'all. Nobody's walking around going, Shh. praise our God. I mean, it's, they're thundering. They are shaking the foundations. Uh, looking forward to being there. A loud place that's holy. Uh, a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his saints, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings. That's the way it was. And what did they say? Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That sets heaven off. I mean, in heaven, if you want everybody cheering and glorifying and worshiping, it's that God rules. God rules. I don't care who the parties are. And certainly we feel the effects of good and wicked rulers. But when you know Christ, you're in the right kingdom. You've got the right king. And that's the place to rejoice and praise with gladness. I have a God. I, I personally know the king. I mean, when I was in the biz, when I was in the business of celebrities and all that, people always wanted to know, oh, what's this person like? Oh, did you meet him? Oh, did you travel with them? What was that like? Well, I won't tell you what it was like, but it wasn't holy. You knew this person? You know that person? Hey, and that even works in modern American Christianity. Oh, you know, celebrity pastor B. Did you give me his phone number? No. Okay. In heaven, each of us that know him, in heaven, we know the king. And not only that, we have an advocate there, someone who's advocating for us to the king. It's the Lord Jesus. While God reigns in absolute perfection and power. All he has to do is flex some of his weather a little bit. And it shows what our buildings are made of. Shows what our lives are made of. They show a lot of us what our faith is made of. But brethren, do you know this absolutely sovereign, reigning God who controls everything? And when I say control, <clears throat> everything that is happening is unfolding according to his eternal purpose. People say, well, there are wicked things going on. You're exactly right. And you know what the answer to that is? There is a day of judgment coming. No one will get away with anything. Nothing. Nothing. 
This God rules. He rules over everything. He's not sitting up there today going, that was a good plan. And Pollard messed that one up. Hmm. I don't know what we're going to do with him. That's not going on, for which I'm deeply grateful. I would have been going a long time ago. Friends, God is not like you. When he thinks it, it's right and good. And he has the power to do it. He can and he will. And he does. I, I get amazed still. Even people that understand the grace of God and the sovereignty of God will be saying, you know, I think God's trying to tell me something. <laughs> the Almighty is having trouble getting your attention. Really? What a pitiful, pitiful thinking that is about God. God isn't trying anything today or tomorrow. He's not trying to do anything. He just does according to his purpose. And it's always right. It's always good. Yeah, but I just had this terrible thing come in my life. Okay. I know what terrible things feel like. Have you thanked him yet? Have you praised him yet? Have you said, I don't understand this chastening. I don't understand this difficulty. But whatever my God ordains is right. Do you know this, God? There's a reason we have a confession. Men wiser than we have spent years. There have been centuries of men studying and looking and going through the scriptures and saying, what do we, what do we find about God? What's he like? The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That sums it up. He's like a lot of things, but he's ruling and reigning in all that he is. All that is in God is God, and God is sovereign. Listen carefully to A.W. Pink. Pink said in defining sovereignty, he said, we mean the supremacy of God. That means nothing higher than them. Your football game on the Lord's Day is not more important than his worship. Do you know about God? That's what we're talking about. We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the Godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. You and I aren't. How many really terrible situations have you been able to turn around, make not happen? Best we can do sometimes is just come along and clean up the mess, right? We need to know God, the one who has all power. And those who are Christians know him. They have front door entrance at all times because of Jesus Christ. You need to know that God. That's the one you want if you don't know him. Pink goes on to say, to say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the most high, doing according to his will in all the army of heaven and among inhabitants of the earth, so that none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat his counsels, 
thwart his purpose or resist his will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is governor among the nations. He's not, he's not biting his nails right now on the throne in heaven about what's happening in Russia. He's the governor of the nation, setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, determining the, the course of dynasties as pleaseth him best. Read the book of Kings. Read the book of Samuel. And just watch the politics. And who's governing them? By the way, it is God that puts wicked men in office as a judgment on wicked nations. He is the only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, such as the God of the Bible. Mm. That God, we want that God. We want to worship this God because we know that God. Do you know him? Or is it that, that feeble old guy up there? Oh, my children, they're having difficulties. Sure wish I could fix that, but I'm busy over here. Maybe next time. What God do you have? What God do you worship? Is he that poor, weak, pitiful, pathetic thing that gets preached in our nation a great deal, which is why we have a, a poor, pitiful, and pathetic nation. That he would like to do some things, but our wills are just too big. Wow. The God who created the galaxies can't get you to like him. Hmm. Not worthy of worship, is he? But how about a God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That God, in his way, in his time, brought redemption, forgiveness of sins, life eternal, in his way, his time. Will you have his son? It's the only way to get to the Father. Well, let's go a little further. Do we know this God? This is the God in the letter of the Hebrews. Let's keep pressing. The one true God is triune. Triune. And we come to the deepest, the highest, and I say this with all sincerity. We come to the deepest, the highest, the broadest doctrine in Holy Scripture. God. God, the Holy Trinity. The word Trinity does not exist in the Bible. Let me say, <clears throat> I trust most of you here know this, but it's good to repeat on a regular basis. The Bible does not always say, all right, now, here's the, here's the doctrine of justification. It doesn't say that. We're taught by letters. We're taught by narratives. That's stories. We're taught by songs. We're taught by all kinds of literature in the Bible. 
And very often when we look in that book, we see something there. We do. We see something there. We see someone there. But sometimes we don't have a word for it in our vocabulary. The Bible doesn't use the word, he's sovereign. But that, that word, in our language, rightly captures what it means for the Lord God omnipotent to reign. We're constantly having to use words and terms that are not in the Bible to describe what we're seeing in the Bible. And Trinity is one of them. <clears throat> that not one verse in this entire Bible has the word millennium in it. But <clears throat> we do believe that there is a coming time of Christ's rule. His, his total rule upon the earth. Do we not? Doesn't matter what view you have. The word millennium not in the Bible. There's a thousand years and millennium comes from the word in the Latin that means a thousand. But that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a period of time. So when we say the Trinity, there are immediately people who balk at that. They get bent out of shape. That word's not in the Bible. Well, it isn't. But the idea is all through the Bible. And it's the word that helps us to understand our God. It is a term that describes the one true living God revealed in Scripture. My brethren, this is truly holy ground. I mean, we don't all have to take our shoes off, but I'm telling you, this is holy ground. Unless the Holy Spirit comes with the holy word, I'm not going to be able to do this well. This is truly a subject that no fallible human being can take up without a keen sense of his own limitations. The study of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit makes a mere mortal recognize and acknowledge his profound ignorance, feeling his indwelling sinfulness, and sense senses his unworthiness to speak of the purity, glory, and mystery of God. God's men, the prophets, when they had visions of him, would fall on the ground because the power of his purity, holiness, righteousness, the very presence of God made men fall. John, John who knew Jesus, who had lain and laid his head upon Christ when he saw the resurrected Christ in the book of Revelation, he fell, he fell. We don't have any awe and we need some. And for a weak and a feeble vessel of dust to talk about God, especially in this way, is of the most profound challenge. The Puritan Francis Channel said, quote, This question concerning the distinction of the divine nature and these three most glorious persons which subsist in it 
is the most difficult point in all divinity. Divinity is another word for theology. And therefore, I humbly beg the assistance of all those glorious persons that I may conceive and write or speak judiciously and reverently of this profound and glorious mystery of the faith. I remember that excellent speech of judicious Calvin, says Chano. Whatever we think, says Calvin, whatever we think or speak of our own heads concerning God will be like ourselves, unsavory, foolish, and vain. No language is rich enough, no words are significant enough to declare this profound mystery which the understanding of men and angels cannot comprehend nor the tongue of men and angels express. Close quote. Chanel's right. If you've got any sense of the living God. Most of us, man, are just too taken away in our church by the backbeat and we think we're worshiping. No, there's no awe in the backbeat. Nevertheless, the study of the Trinity is one of the most profitable, edifying, heart and mind expanding truths in all of Scripture. It would do us all well to regularly meditate on God, especially God the Holy Trinity. Let me ask you, and I, and I, I begin by asking myself, if you're not thinking about God, if you're not getting God as you see him in the scriptures, if you're not looking through what these men have amassed uh, in our confession to say, this is our God, this is our God. Let me ask you, do you know who you're worshiping? How do you know you're not worshiping a false God? How do you know that your own thoughts about God are not utterly idolatrous? Who? that's a scary one. You say, why do you ask questions like that? Because I'm made of the same stuff that you are. And I know how I feel. I know how I've had to wrestle over the years to even keep a good thought of God. Those thoughts have to come from unchanging truth. Not how you feel. The word of God. And we're being told. In a wonderful way. God is three subsistences and one essence. Well, that doesn't sound like awe-inspiring words, but if you understand them, they are. God is three subsistences, as your outline says. Behind that word subsistence is the word persons, and one essence, spirit. What does that mean? Our confession says in chapter 2, uh, paragraph 3, in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. When was the last time you got on your knees and worshipped a subsistence? Or at least knew that you were. Subsistence. Oh, why do guys come up with terms like that? Because we're trying to understand what we're seeing in the Bible. The word person was a word that was 
hotly and sometimes in some places still hotly debated. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they would be looking for another word that might tell us about the being of God without saying person? Because they realize God is not made in our image. We're made in God's image. That's important. And when we think of persons, very often we think of something like us. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ did become a human person. And that way, why? Now we can relate to God. Now we can relate to God. There's someone who became like us and came into this world to live by nothing but the word of God. You want to know what it looks like? Read Matthew. Read Mark. Read Luke. Read John. And that's the model for what we're going to be. Okay, so in this divine and infinite infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or Son, and Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. Oh, that sounds like a theological book, doesn't it? Oh, it's like, oh, now I need somebody to tell me what in the world that means, right? These men had to struggle for centuries, not each man, but the men that were trying to protect the word of God struggled for centuries so that we would have the biblical teaching on who God is, who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is. There's two big problems, two big errors that people fall into all the time. The first one is tritheism, which means... You think about God, you think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in your mind, what you really have is three gods. That's heresy. And then there's the problem on the other side, where God is just, God is one, but at certain moments, he does what the Father does. And then he'll switch over and do something that is credited to the Son. And then he moves over and does something that's credited to the Holy Spirit. So it's really just one person playing three roles. Both of those are heresy. Both of those are not what the scriptures teach. And there are plenty of people out there that still have those heresies. And there are different flavors of those heresies. We don't have time for all of this. But the first thing I want to say to you is this. Subsistence means a real thing. I've put the definition on your outline. It means a real thing, a real being or a thing that has essence. It's something that exists. It's either a person or it's a thing. But it is something of Essence, if something has no essence, it doesn't exist. The distinction between persons and essence is crucial. If you're drifting as we're getting near the end, let me urge you, <clears throat> stay with it because this is, this is important. Why? 
because this is the object of your worship. It's not just a theological thing. It's what does this book of the revelation of God tell us about the one that we're bowing to and trusting our immortal souls to. That's why it's important, friends. That's why it's important. So a, a subsistence, they, they started using the word, when you go back and you look at all of the stuff that was written in the first 500 uh, centuries of the, of the church, or the, the first 400 anyway, they, you will constantly see them wrestling for terminology so that they can preserve the revelation that's in Scripture. That's the whole idea. Preserving. Preserving what we see about God. And it's complex and difficult for us because He's infinite and we are finite. Because He is pure and we are not. Now, the distinction between persons then and essence is crucial. To confuse these is to confuse your understanding of God. <clears throat> and therefore, if we have the wrong God, and you know, we, none of us has a perfect knowledge of God, so at some point, all of us, you know, are probably falling into an idolatry. But that's why it's so important to come to the scriptures and find out who our God is. Persons, nature, essence, what God is. He's not flesh and blood. Hmm? So, to confuse is to confuse our understanding of God and therefore our worship. The essence is what God is. The subsistence is, or if it makes you feel better, the persons are who God is. And the Bible gives that to us plainly. It's not arguable. You can do everything you can to try to keep, to, to take any of the heresies that are out there. And there are plenty. Get a book on the history of doctrine and then read through the, 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 the issues that have taken place over the, the, the doctrine of God over the centuries. It's astounding. And of course, what else do you think Satan would be uh, warring against? He wants you to worship idols. He wants you to worship stuff you make up in your head. You need to replace it with truth. So what we're saying is the subsistence uh, is who God is and the essence is what God is. And what is he? He's spirit. We've already talked about that. God is spirit. You and I don't know spirit. We've never seen spirit. If we saw spirit, we didn't know that we were seeing spirit. You and I don't know that. That's not something in our science textbook. It's not something you can put under a microscope and say, oh, well, this is the way the spirit goes and this is all of the properties scientifically. It's not there. That's one of the reasons science loves to laugh at Christians. But brethren, God's reality as spirit is more real than we are. This is all going to burn this is all temporary. It's all going to go. Read the book. But your immortal soul will last forever. Forever. Because your creator lives forever. 
You're made in his image. That part of us, there is that which is you is going to live for eternity. And you will live in heaven or in hell. No other options. No other possibilities. That's it. No, no. We're all going to, to Mars with Elon. And we're going to go up there and live like God. Mm. Not going to happen. Even if they make it up there, they're not going to live forever. It is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. So God is not going to be cheated out of what he's going to do. Judgment day is coming. So the point is, our God is of a nature that to begin with is foreign to us. And that's why this notion of three persons within that one nature is very difficult. Within the nature of the one God. And the Bible tells us in the plainest words imaginable, there's only one God. Just one God. And all of the, all of the saints of God who fought theologically over, over the centuries, and we're talking millennia now, <clears throat> all of them knew and understood that God would be the big target. And what did God give us in his word? Something so God-like that we can't confuse him with us. He is something we are not. And therefore, we have to understand the best we can of what he is. Within the nature of the one God, there are three eternal persons. That's why the careful language here, you read those words, not divided. Why is the essence not divided? If the essence is divided, you've got more gods than one. And that's clear, clear contradiction. So, let me push a little harder and a little faster and we'll wrap this up. Maybe this is a good place to stop. But let me read the paragraph yet again. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. That means a being with existence. So there are three beings, three persons, if you will. If you understand person doesn't mean humans. <clears throat> the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit of one substance. That's it. That is the teaching of the word of God, of one power. They all share one mind and one will. There's no arguments ever in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all share. And yet, how do we distinguish them? If they all, all have the same substance, and it's not divided, then how do we tell them apart? Isn't that a good question? Yeah. Of course it is. And the Bible tells us there is one called the Father. There is one called the Son. And there is one called the Holy Spirit. And we tell who they are by the things that they do. The Father is credited with this the son is credited with this the father did not become a man the son became the man but they're all sharing an eternal essence 
that is everywhere. Your mind does not handle that. Neither does mine. Now, if you're saying, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm edified yet. Well, <clears throat> we'll take a little more time and look at it one more week. But you see, here's why I keep repeating the same question. Do you know this God? Do you know this God? He makes himself known. The John Owen's got such a beautiful, I'll try to bring the quote next week. John, John Owen's got such a beautiful um, few paragraphs on the fact that in 1 John 5, 7, we have the word that the, there are three that bear witness from heaven. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do you know Christ if you know Christ? Because it says they shall all be taught of God. That's what John says. They shall all be. God the Father teaches. He bears witness. This is my son. Anybody remember when he said, hear ye him? When Jesus talks, listen to him. There's no arguments between us. But what the, what the son is talking about is the things I've given him to talk about. About the redemption that he has agreed to accomplish for you. And the Holy Spirit has agreed to take the merits of what Christ has done and come in his regenerating power and apply it to you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are your Savior. You believe that? That's what this book teaches. That's what this book teaches. Let me leave you with one passage because I know some of you are getting that look. Let me... Let me go to two quick passages and we'll do it next week with a little more. But believe me, you'll begin to understand when we get to the end why this is so important for your worship and for your life. You've got to know your God. What, why does anybody believe in something that sounds so strange to the Trinity? Because it is the teaching of the Scriptures. Because it is the teaching of the Scriptures about who the living God is who the creator is, who the redeemer is, who the Lord God omnipotent is, who the savior was and is. In one sense, the entire Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are your savior because the father purposed your salvation, the son accomplished your salvation, and the spirit applies that salvation to you. Why did you repent of your sins and believe? Why? Because the spirit bore witness that what you were hearing about Christ is true. That is exactly why you're a Christian. That's the God that saved you. You need to wrestle with this. All the Lord's people do. So first of all, number one, two practical things. Then we'll quit. Number, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Go with me to verse 18. Listen very carefully. It's right here. And all of us have probably read over it dozens of times. Verse 18. For through him, Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We can't worship here unless this is true. We come to the Father because Christ has opened the door and the Holy Spirit 
moves. We have access by one spirit, that spirit that dwells within me, that dwells within every saved man, woman, child. Through him, Christ, the intercessor, our high priest, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. One more. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be finished. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is one of the sweetest and most beautiful and most awesome passages in all of Scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He, Father, hath chosen us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us, the Father predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved." in whom we have redemption through his blood. This is the incarnation. It's just as mystifying as the Trinity. Jesus, the God-man, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Jump down to verse 13. Speaking of Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. Oh, the Bible got in there. The truth that is recorded for us in Scripture is set before them. And it's in whom, after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Father, Son, Spirit. Our salvation comes from a Trinitarian God. A God who is one essence that we cannot truly understand. Because within the essence of that one God are three eternal subsistences or beings or persons, if you will. And they're even given, us, given to us in an order. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we'll take up next week, God willing. All right? This is your Savior. Did you notice the context? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is worship. Your worship is hinged on this God. Do you worship this God? Look how Paul is worshiping. He starts his letter worshiping. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ because he predestinated us before the foundation of the world. He knew the target for his heat-seeking missile, the Holy Spirit, coming to the hearts of people that are sitting in a church and one heart opens up and somebody all of a sudden realizes what a sinner they are. And they repent of their sins and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father purposed that before he ever said, let there be light. Jesus Christ came into this world his way, his time, went to the cross. Everything that he did was to save us. Everything. Everything he did was to save us. 
That was God's purpose. And he accomplished it. That's why he could say on the cross, it is finished. The sin debt is over. Our crimes against heaven are over. But many people won't believe that. But God in his mercy sends his spirit and he opens their hearts because none of us would believe it. You wouldn't believe that a man executed as a criminal was God. You wouldn't believe that for a moment. But it's all the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three gods. Not one God that plays different roles. But within the essence of that spirit being, that great and glorious God, there are three eternal persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do we tell them apart what they're doing? That's it. That probably has brought more questions than imaginable. And if they, if they are there, I have done my work. And I also want you to realize, if you're perplexed, you haven't been thinking carefully about who God is. And I want you to know him. I want you to love him. I want you to walk with him and worship him for who he is and what he's done. I thank thee, O Father. Your book is so full of glory. It's so big. It's so extraordinary. And Father, how I praise and thank thee for thy great goodness to us. How I thank thee for thy people here. Father, I love them. But your love is much greater. It's much higher. It's much purer. It's just better. I pray that they would all drink deeply of it today. Father, for those that don't know you, who think it wild to believe that someone crucified as a criminal has anything to do with the pardon of sins and everlasting life. Get into their hearts today. Drive the word home to them. Draw them out of darkness into the light of Christ. And for thy people, beginning with me, O oh God, give us higher visions of who you are in the scriptures. Help us to understand thee better that we might worship thee with more energy, with more Holy Spirit wrought love. And in that love overflowing for thee, let it run all over thy people. May we love one another in the light of our Trinitarian God. I pray, O oh righteous Father, these truths would stay with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me, if you would. I know this is difficult stuff. Some of you are ready probably to go back to Wednesday and the covenants. But, brethren, the Bible is not tamed by us. It tames us. So the benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Let's go in the name of Jesus.